As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. The following podcast contains accounts of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Without Nina and Grace doing what they've done, the fight would have taken longer to get to the point where we don't have to go to court and pay money to be able to use our identities to talk about rape or sexual assault. That's Janelle O'Connor, who was the first person in the state of Tasmania to exercise her right to be named as a rape survivor on the 24th of April 2020. Up until that point, for Janelle to have told her own story about the night she was sexually assaulted in 1993 using her own name would have been illegal, even though two men were convicted of raping her. The law has finally been amended in Tasmania as a result of the Let Her Speak campaign, spearheaded by child sexual abuse survivor Grace Tame and journalist and anti-sexual assault advocate Nina Fennell. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Nina and Janelle joined us in the studio so that Janelle could exercise her right to tell her story. It's a very graphic account of a brutal sexual assault. So please be warned that it's not for everyone. We ask you to exercise discretion and respect regarding where and when you listen to this podcast and who else can hear it. 
We started by asking Nina to explain how these old laws work. You know, the only way in which a sexual assault survivor in Tasmania or the Northern Territory can legally tell their story is if they apply to the court to get a special exemption. But when I first found out about this law, only at that time, I think three people had ever succeeded in getting that exemption. And the problem is it's very expensive. It costs about $10,000. So if you've already been sexually assaulted wow. <laughs> and now you have to go through yet another legal process, having already been through trials and so on, you have to go through, you know, back to court, you have to pay all this money. You actually have to prove to the judge why your story is in the public interest and that you understand the risks that you're taking by self-identifying. So a lot of survivors were like, well, why should I be financially penalised mm. just to earn the basic right of using my own my own name? It's, you know, it's outrageous. And the reason I started the Let Her Speak campaign was because I was contacted by a young woman called Grace Tame, who had been groomed and repeatedly sexually assaulted by her 58-year-old high school maths teacher, Nicholas Bester, when she was a 15-year-old. And Grace, at age 22, had decided she wanted to tell her story to the public to help educate them on the warning signs of grooming and to also break down the stigma and isolation around sexual violence. And I realised pretty quickly I couldn't tell Grace's story using her real name because of this absurd law. So we took her case to the Supreme Court and she did eventually win. But, it, yeah, it cost about $10,000 in legal fees and it took quite a long time and it was quite a um, onerous process on Grace to do that. And at the time I thought, this is outrageous and what does this mean that we're going to have to do this every single time another survivor comes forward? We're going to have to, you know, take it back to, to court. So we just thought, well, we it's not sustainable. We need to change the law itself and bring Tasmania and the Northern Territory into alignment with all other Australian jurisdictions. And that's when initially it was Grace and I who started the Let Her Speak campaign for law reform. And then a few months later, a woman called Nell got in contact and said, hey, I've actually been waiting 26 years to tell my story. Can I join? Because it seems like it's just purely protecting the perpetrators and protecting their um, privacy. But is it designed as a sort of paternalistic approach where is the the idea that Nell we've just got to protect you 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 don't understand what you what you're subjecting yourself to by telling your own story so we have to protect you from yourself yeah i think that the initial intention of the law was there wasn't a negative intention the intention was Protection. But they, the lawmakers at the time never conceptualised an environment or a Me Too movement where women have no shame and in actual fact feel proud of what we've survived and what we've come through and that not only do we not need that paternalistic protection from the state but we want to own our own stories. I mean, I understand the us. idea of, of saying I shouldn't be allowed to name you against your will, Nell, but the idea that you shouldn't be allowed to name yourself, what do you think? What, what? I think it's ridiculous at my age. At my age, I think it's ridiculous. It should be a choice. So you make it so that it's a choice. So if you feel safe to speak out about your story, my story, which I do, then you should be allowed to and it shouldn't be so difficult and we shouldn't have to go through a court process to be able to do that. Yeah, I don't understand why Nell wouldn't be able to literally tick a box on a form saying I give permission to myself, I, you know? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, essentially that's why Tasmania and the Northern Territory have been working to reform this law because it shouldn't be so complex and so onerous for the survivor. It's just taken them a bit of time to catch up with the other states and jurisdictions on this matter. What's the argument against legalising women's right to tell their own story as adults? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to concerns around media exploitation and coercive journalism. And I think that there is a need to balance the, the competing interests of, you know, as you said before, survivors should always have the right to retain control over their own narrative and their own story. So we don't want to get into a situation where journalists can now name people without their consent either. So you have to craft the law carefully so that it provides an opportunity for those survivors who want to be self-identified while still protecting the privacy and interests of those who don't. And where that gets particularly complicated is in situations where you have multiple survivors from the same offender. So say you've got siblings 
who have both been abused by a stepfather. Mm -hmm. And one of those siblings wants to speak and the other one doesn't. And it's already been in public that this particular offender abused two children. Mm -hmm. And then people can guess and put pieces together. That's where the law and crafting law becomes quite fascinating because you want to protect the rights of both of those victims. Mm-hmm. So that's where we have to get it. You start within the legislature writing in things like the survivor can be identified provided by self-identifying they're not inadvertently compromising the privacy and anonymity of a secondary or subsequent third-party survivor. Yeah. So it's a case-by-case case basis, is. really, because and also with every woman who is a sexual assault and rape survivor, one person might want to talk, another person never wants to talk about it again. I would even think, too, that if you want to talk to us, Nell, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want this conversation then repeated in other forums and cut up and used out of context in other ways. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I don't want that. I... <sighs> As soon as I walked in the door, I felt comfortable with both of you ladies. Yeah, and I think that's important to to have that to sit down with someone that you you feel comfortable with to tell your story to because it's a pretty traumatic story. It's very harrowing. From yeah, what I've read. even twenty six years later, it's and there's a lot of it that. I couldn't remember that come back to me over the years, some stuff still where it's like, oh, did that really happen? Mm. But, yeah, I don't want anyone to chop up my story or change it in any way. It's a, an ethical question that I think about a lot in in terms of lots of other scenarios, repeating victims' stories, mm. and we do it a lot. It's troubling. So the permission to tell other people's stories is an ethical question that we wrestle with a lot. So I think that that's something that needs to be thought about. So in that way, thinking about giving permission to tell your story is a very big deal. Yeah, it is. Have you wanted to tell your story for a number of years or was it only recently that you felt like you wanted to do it? Um, I wanted, I got the idea that I wanted to write a book and I wasn't aware at the time that if I wrote a book I couldn't put my identity to it and I was on Twitter late one night and an article of Nina's come up and I read it and you know it I can't use my identity I can't use my name and I thought well I can't write a book what's the point yeah so it's section 194k it's it's all sexual assault survivors in Tasmania in the Northern Territory regardless of the age they were at when the assault or assaults occurred. That's the Act, Section 194K of the Evidence Act. Okay. So this is the first time that you have ever been able to tell your story. Fully, yes, fully. As yourself. As myself, yeah. And and you want to use your full name and do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your full name? Janelle O'Connor. And what happened? And what happened? Okay, um, I'll take you back to Christmas Eve, 1993. I was with a group of friends that night. We were at a party on Mount Street you know, at a house. Where is this, by the way? Is this In Bernie, Tasmania okay. on the northwest coast. And um, we, at some stage, we decided to go down to the local pub and... I used to be able to get into the local pubs because I looked a little bit older. And my friends were a couple of years older than me as well. So we went down to the pub. I actually was not drunk that night, which in hindsight was a saving grace for me, I think, going through court because they throw all sorts of crap at you. So we were down at the pub and I was with um, some friends, Beck and Jane, and Jane was talking to a group of men, so Beck and I went over and spoke to them too. I actually knew one of the guys and we just we come to the decision because it was getting closer to midnight and pubs were closing down that we'd go back to the party that we'd been to previously. So Beck and I got in a cab together. I'm not sure where Jane ended up. And the guys that we'd been talking to followed us in the cab behind us and we got halfway up Mount Street and 
Beck wanted to throw up, so the cab pulled over and got out of the car and she was really sick and she actually sort of lived like five minutes up around the corner anyway from where we'd pulled over. And the car pulled up behind us with the five men in it and I knew the driver and I knew Glenn Last who was in the back. Um, I'd known him for a number of years. And anyway, so there was a discussion and Beck said, look, mate, I'm going to be all right. I'm just up around the corner. If you want to show him where it is, just go for it. And I spoke to the driver and said, hey, show you boys where it is. Can you give me a lift home? Yep, no worries. So I'd gotten the car and uh, probably not even five minutes after I got in the car, I knew it was a mistake. Mm. So from a feeling or was anything said or done? Just the feeling. The it was like the energy, uh the atmosphere in the car just changed mm. from light, light and jovial to like we'll, you know, show you where the party is to almost still. And so what happened was Haywood mentioned to the driver that he wanted to go out to Ferngrade and straight away I'm just like, oh, I'm in so much shit here, it's not funny. Why was that? What is that place? Years ago there'd been a girl raped out there at Ferngrade, gang raped. You know, it's a picnic spot but it's like a bushy area where there's a nice little creek and... When, once you get there, you've kind of got nowhere to run except for into the bush. It's isolated um, and, and yeah. in the middle of the night it's not a picnic spot. Yeah, and and for some reason the, the little river kept running through my mind as well. So, But on the way to there, there's a bottle shop. So Haywood wanted alcohol and it was shut and I started talking. And I started to try to get the attention back to, hey, we've got to get, we'll go to this party. There's alcohol there. There's this and that there. We'll go back there. And it was when he started to drive back to that party that a knife came out. And by this stage, I'd actually, because I was in the back seat with the three men, I jumped up onto Glenn's knee because I knew Glenn. And, you know, I can't remember certain conversations that went on or anything like that, but I, I had a knife put up to my face. I had a knife put up to my throat. I was like, hey, guys, you know, this doesn't have to happen. We don't this, don't do this. Just please don't cut me, don't hurt me. So we turned onto what is called three-mile line, which is a – a very long road. It's a country road. And um, Glenn, I'm pretty sure he said, it's okay, it's okay. And then they wanted the car pulled over onto the side of the road. It was very abandoned. You couldn't, I couldn't see much light. And Glenn said to me, get out and run, just run. And he got out from underneath me and um, two of the men that were in the back got out and they started beating him and I could hear them punching into him and I couldn't run. And I jumped over to the, the front driver's seat grabbed on to the driver and I was begging him to drive and I knew he had a daughter and I said to him, think of me as your daughter, how would you feel if this was your daughter they were doing this to, what they, think of what they're going to do to me, just fucking drive. And he said, I can't, they'll kill me. And I said, what do you think they're going to do to me, mate? And then Hayward kept coming back to the car trying to pull me out of the car by my legs and that's where I I really I started to fight um, and kick back and throw punches and because he's trying to pull me out of the car door and so I'm leaning back as well 
And I remember at one stage I actually got to kick him in the face, chest area, and he went back and he just jumped up and he, yeah, he hurried into me after that. And which I'd never in my whole life been hit by a man like that. So it was it was quite a shock to it was the strangest feeling to be hit, fully hit by a man. It's it's really terrifying. Um and especially at sixteen because you're thinking all sorts of things like, how the hell am I going to get out of this? How long is this going to go on for? How many more punches can I take? So he stopped hitting me eventually and they jumped back in the car and I remember just sliding down onto the front driver's seat and roughly slided into the front seat. And so I was kind of in between his his legs and then Hayward and Marshall, uh, the other two men were in the back, and they said, drive. So they were trying to reach over to me as well and grab me on the breast and stuff past roughly, and it was just crazy. And then I think it was Hayward that said, pull over and we were near another paddock and I just remember jumping out of the car but I couldn't go anywhere. I was like, where do I go? And I could see a house and I thought if I, if I try and run to that house, something might happen to these people, they might get hurt. And so what happened was I ended up... They ended up taking me into a paddock and, um, yeah, I was raped and and bashed and verbally abused for a couple of hours. And then um, yeah, so, you know, I maintained no all the way through. And the strange thing, the really strange thing about all of it is one of the rapists thought I was going to be his girlfriend afterwards, like started saying stuff to me like, I want you to be my woman and blah, blah. And there was just so much said in that paddock that night. And it just got stranger and stranger as the night went on. So I kind of knew I had to get, if I wanted to live, I had to get this guy on side. And so when they finished um, raping me, he told me to get dressed and I got dressed and he, he was walking out of the paddock with me and the other two were behind me laughing and whatnot. And I remember saying to him, you know, if you if you like me, you won't let them do anything else to me tonight. You you'll get me out of this, and I'll more or less be grateful for you for doing that. And um, I can't remember the conversations in between, but anyway, we got back into the car, and Haywood had decided that I was going to go and dig my own um, grave or hole. <laughs> And um, I'm not religious. I'm not a religious person and I don't – I haven't told many people this. So they put me back in the car and I could just picture myself digging my own grave and – all I wanted to do was go home to my mum and dad. And I kept thinking about my friends and my family and how much I wanted to live my last year of grade 10. Um, everything, it's like everything flashes before your eyes. And it, it goes so quickly. And. Okay, so they started the car and um, 
the road was slippery for some reason. And I remember I didn't put my seatbelt on. No one had their seatbelt on. They went around a corner. In my mind, I still don't know whether I said it out loud or in my mind, um, God help me. God help me. (laughs) And the car flipped and it started, it rolled three times. And I'm in the back and I could see them being thrown around in the car, but it was like I stayed still. It was like I didn't get tossed. I I stayed in my seat and on the very last roll, my head got thrown back and then to the side of the car and I got knocked out. But the next thing I knew, I was being dragged up another driveway because the police and ambulance were coming in the distance. So someone must have already reported that anyway or heard heard the car accident. So I'm being dragged up a driveway. He's pushed me down into some grass and he put a – it was like he put a jumper over my head or my face and he was telling me to be quiet and I couldn't move. And really I just wanted to scream out I just because I, I was aware that there was the police there but they didn't – it was like they didn't stay for long and then but the timing in my mind was probably all completely different because I was so traumatized and all like, and head injury yeah and they went and after they left he dragged me back down the driveway and by this stage he was like I'm going to be your boyfriend and just all this bizarre stuff and I thought oh my god a cab came my dad's a cab driver. So it was mine. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> so they've got a hundred eyes all over the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. And they, they know each other's kids. Yeah, yeah. My my dad took to picking my friends up off the street afterwards to make sure they got home safe. Mm. The cab came and strangely enough, I got taken to a girl's house that I went to school with because she was seeing one of my rapist's brother. She turned out not to be a very good friend in court. So I got taken back to this unit. I went into the bedroom with her and because I was a mess, I had dirt and blood and my face was bruised and she was like, what the hell has happened to you? And all I could say to start with was car accident. And then I got changed and I said to her, I've got to go. I need to get home to my mum and dad. Like this is like 3 o'clock in the morning, like Christmas morning by this stage. And I want to get back to my mum and dad and whatnot. And then we walked back out to the lounge room and two of the perpetrators walked through the door. The other rapist that took me to the unit standing next to me. So it was like I, I can't go anywhere. I'm just in the strangest situation that I can't get out of. When is this going to end? And he looked at me and said, oh, good, she's alive. Mm-hmm. And that's when the so-called friend that I grew up with actually said, what have you guys done to her? Now, around about this stage, her boyfriend's walked into the room, blind, rotten, drunk, passed out on the floor, just made a complete idiot of himself, and she had to drag him out of the room and put him into bed. So... Again, the situation changed. She wasn't in the room with me. I'm in the room with them. So for me, it was sitting back watching and waiting. And because they're all off their heads and there was other people in this unit as well, I like I sat in the corner of a room and eventually I must have passed out. And when I come to, it was, there was daylight and I had this, you know, the, uh, Pubazan cane chairs mm, that you yeah. put the cushions in. Someone had taken the cushion out of it and put the cane part over the top of me like I was in a cage. And I remember looking around and I had one rapist to the side of me, another to the other side, and one was on the lounge. And I'm thinking, i got to get the fuck out of here and I've got to do it now and I've got to be very quiet about it. I just so quietly took it off me crept through this 
lounge room, opened the door, and as soon as I got out of that door, I just ran. I ran. I'd never ran so fast in my whole life, and I kept running until I got to a phone box near a shopping centre. And there was no one on the road or in Christmas morning, I think it was like 6 o'clock in the morning by this stage, and I rang a cab. The first thing I did was ring a cab. I didn't think call the police. I just, I just wanted to get, get home. home. Yeah, I get that. And I wanted to get home before my mum and dad woke up. I wanted to clean myself up. I I was trying to think, my God, how am I going to explain this? What am I going to say? So the cab came and he was actually one of my dad's friends. And he was like, Jesus Christ, what's happened to you tonight? I'm just like, mate, get me home. I just want to go home. But he was a witness in court, the cab driver. So I get home, I walk through the back door, I strip off, I throw my clothes in the washing machine, except for my bra and undie, and I walk straight to the shower. And I just, I think I was in there probably an hour. The hottest shower I've ever had. And I just, being 16 and not understanding, I had no thought of going to the police. So I wasn't thinking evidence-wise or anything like that. You don't think of that when you're 16, especially back in 1993. It was still so taboo to talk about rape or sexual assault back then. So I had a shower. I got changed. I went and laid in bed and I just passed out. And the next thing I knew, my brother were coming to my room probably midday and was really annoyed with me because I hadn't bothered to get up and have Christmas lunch with mum and dad and then he's looked at me he's like geez what have you been out fighting all night you know you should know better what's mum and dad gonna say and I'm just like oh look piss off and leave me alone you've got no idea the night that I had just leave me alone and then I got up and I walked out and my dad's reaction was kind of the same, like, what have you been doing? So I called uh, my best friend, Adam. I was like, Adam, you need to come and get me. And he's like, no, what, what are you on about? It's Christmas Day. I'm going to my nan's. <laughs> I'm like, no. And I've just gone, Adam, I've been raped and bashed. Come and get me now. And within five minutes he, he was there. Adam asked me, he said, what do you want to do? And I more or less just wanted to forget about it. I do not want to deal with it. My my brain wouldn't connect up to make a decision. And he said to me, "Um, you have two choices. You either report this to the police and you do something about it if you don't report it to the police. Every time you go out and they see you, you are fair game and they're probably going to do it to other women because they're going to get away with it. So Adam said to me, I'm taking you to Bex. In the meantime, Bex calling my mum and dad's house. She got up and she had this bad gut feeling and I think she asked my dad, um, did she make it home okay? And I don't know what my dad said to her. So we ended up at Beck's place. We lived with her mum, Maureen, and Maureen's ex-husband was a police officer back in the day. Um, so we, I knocked on the door and Adam's behind me and Beck answered the door <laughs> And um, as soon as she looked at me, she knew. And she said, oh, my God, what did they do to you? And we went inside and um, she went and got Maureen. And we went into the bedroom. And um, I had to tell Maureen what had happened. And Maureen explained to me that it was really important that I tried to tell her word for word what had happened because I think she knew um, she was more or less the first person that I was telling the whole story to. Um, 
You think Maureen knew that she would be a witness at some point in a legal proceeding? Beck was a witness as well and so um, Maureen said to me, we we have to report this, I have to take you down to the police station. I was like, I don't want my mum and dad to know. I'll do it if my mum and dad don't find out. (laughs) And um, because I was 16, they had to tell my mum and dad So um, we went to the police station and um, I had the police that interviewed me that day were absolutely wonderful. They were amazing and these men were well known for different things. Were they known for sex offences? One of them was, but I don't think he'd ever been charged. Haywood killed a woman. Before he raped me, he it was a hit and run. She was a school teacher, and he ran. He was drunk, and he ran her over, and he killed her, and he and he ran from the scene. And in hindsight, you know, I wonder this man's criminal record spanned from 1983 through to probably a few years before he died. It never ended. He was just pure evil, scum of the earth, really. Sorry, I lost where we were at. Um, so you were at the well, police station? Police station, yeah. When you say that you didn't want your parents to know and that was just sort of your initial gut reaction, had you had lots of talks with your parents about staying safe, how to stay safe as a young girl? Because if anything, God forbid, happens to our daughters, it may make it difficult for them then to come back and speak to us about it because they may think they'll get in trouble. Was there any of that sort of feeling for you at the time? What it was for me, and um, I haven't bought, I have not bought, except I've spoken to Nina about it. Um, I was molested as a child by a family member mm-hmm. for a number of years and it should have been picked up on, medically it should have been picked up on. And I told my mum when I was 12 and my mum didn't believe me and it was her father and I wasn't the only one in the family that he'd done it to. Um, Can we have a break? Yeah, of course. Oh, and you know what? Do you want an um, <laughs> air conditioning yeah, break, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, babe. No worries. God. Good on you for us. If you'd like to speak to someone about today's episode, you can access counselling and referral services at 1800 RESPECT, that's 1800 737 732, or Lifeline 13 11 14. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Okay, so yes, we were talking about why it was that you felt that you could tell Maureen, your best mate's mum, everything, but you so didn't want your mum and dad to know what had happened to you in the paddock. Do you want to say it or do you want me to just reiterate? You can re- reiterate, yeah. That your grandfather, your mum's father, had molested you when you were younger. You had told your mum and she didn't believe you. Yeah. And that does make it really difficult then to tell her that this has happened. But also, what was your reaction then as a younger girl to that situation? Uh, I remember I ran away that day and I went to a friend's house. How old were you when you told her? Twelve. Just before I got to grade seven, so I was kind of it was it was the end of grade six coming into grade seven through the holidays. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'd actually told a friend about it as well that had lived down the road from us. Was it still happening at that time? No, no, it stopped. I think it stopped when I was around about eight or nine. He actually got charged with molesting his daughter. So you weren't even the first person to say it? No, 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 I wasn't. And we could never work out when he got charged, which he got off, got let off, because my nan had died not long before that and I think he used that and medication he'd been given as an excuse. But it had gone on for years. But I guess at the time... Because my mum didn't believe what happened to me with my grandfather, part of me felt like she wasn't going to believe this. I never had permission to talk about what had happened to me as a child either. It was just swept under the rug. We don't talk about this. You know, pretend it never happened. It... Caused me a lot of problems through high school, a lot of problems. Bad-tempered, fire up before, you know, you could even think of the consequence. Principal used to call me rebel rouser. But in saying that, I had a good heart. I was always for the underdog. If, if someone at school was being picked on, I was there going, well, come on, take me on, leave them alone. <laughs> but so from their perspective, they might have said there were behavioural problems? Oh, yeah. I had major behavioural problems, learning difficulties. I always felt, I guess, different to girls I went to school with. I used to look at them and they seemed to have everything so together and their lives were good and their parents were adjusted and... And I felt like a freak, an absolute freak through high school. And I got through high school being aggressive and outspoken. It's only just occurred to me as you're speaking that if you wanted to as a parent, you could probably say to yourself, she's lying about my father molesting her and that's part of her troubled behaviour rather than the troubled behaviour is a result of my father molesting her. My dad and I, we would talk about I actually remember my dad saying, well, what happened? Tell me. And 
I I said, well, all those times, yeah, took me to the doctor and I had urine infections. Like, come on. Did the doctors ever ask anything? Every weekend after you made me spend a weekend at his house, you were taking me to the doctor. I wanted my dad to do something about it. And at the time, you're too young to think about police or anything like that, but... Because nothing was done about it, when I got raped by the three men, I had this drive for justice. I had, I was going to keep going. I was not going to back down. I was going to speak my truth and they were going to go to jail for what they'd done to me because I never... I will never, ever get justice for what my grandfather done to me, ever. We'll never, ever get that. Um, He's dead. He died a painful death. I'm grateful he died a painful death. He deserved it for the torture, and it was torture, that he put us through. And, you know, you take that through to the next generation. As a mother, if you can't come to some sort of peace with yourself it comes out in other ways so you went to court you fought yeah and you were still a teenager by the way yeah that's incredible what was the outcome of that okay so I had a committal Mm -hmm. um where the judge said yeah this is going to trial (laughs) And then I had a trial and they were found guilty. How many? How many of them were? All three? All three. Mm-hmm. Yep, all three were found guilty. And then a few months after that, the Daryl Coates called me and he said, you know, I don't really want to tell you this, but um, he was a Crown prosecutor. There's an appeal and they've won the appeal and we can it can go back to court. If you don't want to go, I understand and I said, no, Daryl, we're going back to court. Was that an appeal from three men or one man or? Three. It was all three. From the, the whole three. The, there, were, there were more men in there that night. Yeah. What happened? Okay, oh, Glenn. Okay. We think, wow, Glenn. The next morning a, a guy on a motorbike found Glenn on the side of the road, got him to the hospital. Glenn was in a really, really bad way. Uh, he, I, I don't know how long he was in hospital for. All I know is when he got out of hospital, his mum put him on a plane to Queensland. He was charged with nothing because they wanted to use him in court as evidence for me. Um, he's still around in Burnie. You know, when I first come back, he actually still had the car. Oh, my God. The same car. He was the one who ran, wasn't yeah, he? You yeah, he begged ran. him to he, help? Yeah, I begged him for help. He knew my parents. He knew me as a newborn baby. Mm. How old was he? He was older my than you. My parents, he was older than all of them, yeah. He would have been, they were, one was in their late 20s and the other two were in their mid-30s. Oh, so they were all substantially older than you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are a lot older than me. So did he give witness on your Give yeah, evidence he, on your behalf? He did, yeah. Uh, I didn't sit in court that day that right. he'd done that. Then we had the retrial. There was one lawyer in particular, Haywood's lawyer, he took the court case very, very personally, a very well-known lawyer down Tassie. I, mean, I even had him follow me around town once, you know, just strange stuff like that. There was only two, two at the retrial, two men. One of the other men had been. On what grounds? Just dropped the charges. Look, you know, to start off with, they're up on seventy-something charges between them. As the trials went on, the charges that get just kept getting dropped were ridiculous. We had the retrial, and it come back hung jury. One of, and I have a fair idea who that jury member was because she kept getting the judge sending pieces of paper to the judge to ask me questions like, well, if it was dark, how could you see in the paddock? And they even took the jury up to the paddock at night, right? And I just remember thinking um, the stars and the moon and it was a clear night and, uh, you and know. And your eyes adjust to the your dark. Your eyes adjust to it. It wasn't that dark. I knew exactly who was doing what. Like, lady... Come it's the interrogation on. you've yeah. got to go through of 
justifying your experience or something. I don't know. It just it, it was. Really it uh, I screwed up. I felt like I was getting raped over and over and over again. And you know the stupid thing about me not being able to speak in public was my court cases were open court open court. Anyone in that town could walk in and sit down while I was on the witness box and they did. You know, you'd have one side filled up with their family and friends. You'd have one side filled of the courtroom filled up with my family and my friends and you had me who was sitting from here to your uh, to him away with a police officer in the middle of us. That's how far away they were from me. Uh, I had them putting their fingers across their, their throat in front of the jury, the, the knife, one of them done the knife thing. Um, out, when we were coming into the courthouse, they'd be their friends would be standing there doing gun fingers. My parents had their friends driving past their house of a night time. The second court case I had to go into like a witness protection thing and get put into a hotel and away from it all because my parents were getting phone calls, tell her not to go to court, you're going to die, we're going to burn your house down. So, okay, we get a hung jury and this time Daryl's like, no, we, we really shouldn't do it again. So, yeah, we're doing it one more time. So we've done it one more time. Um, during that time I tried to kill myself all I got into a lot of trouble. I started doing all sorts of drugs. I pushed myself as far as I could possibly go and I felt like I was I was running out of time. I guess I was mentally sort of thinking, all right, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to – I've done what I need to do and I've kept – other women safe in my town if they go to jail and now I can let go, I can just fucking kill myself. Um, but it didn't work out that way. I was really lucky I met Ryan when I did and that we decided to move when we did. So, okay, so then with the, the last retrial, the two men were found guilty. Haywood was found guilty and Roughly was found guilty and they got sent back to jail. Yeah. And then you moved to Queensland? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> and got on with life. And here we are how many years later? 26. And you're allowed to tell us your story? Yeah. With and your I, own name attached and your own face attached? Yeah. How do you feel? Relieved and um, extremely empowered by the Let Her Speak campaign because without it, without Nina and Grace doing what they've done, uh, the fight would have been taken longer to get to the point where we don't have to go to court and pay money to be able to use our identity to talk about our story. Earlier in the conversation you were saying that when you finally got home, you didn't know anything about what to do. You put your clothes in the washing machine, all of that stuff, because you said, I didn't know anything about evidence or anything about rape or what to do. And I thought to myself, it's laws like this that silenced victims were part of the reason why you didn't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, because we, we didn't talk about yeah. it back then. You, you know, you probably see American TV shows or, you know, stuff like that, but it doesn't relate to. So the conversation that you've just had, the story yeah. you've just told, literally millions of people, has informed so many women. Yeah, yeah about what to do if, God forbid, they are ever in the same situation, you know? Well, the thing is uh, I took my underwear off and I threw it in the linen basket. That underwear had DNA on it and that is also part of what put one of those rapists into jail, that <gasps> evidence. That was vital evidence, DNA. So that did not go into the washing machine that day? That did that not day. go into the washing machine, but wow. everything else did. And I, because I like, I, 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 you know, you wash yourself. So there was nothing to take from under my nails. There, there was, 
Because you, you showered for you an shower hour and all that. And you just scrub yourself. And so having that evidence on my underwear helped. I was very relieved when I knew it was the last court case and, and I was angry because, you know, one of the guys didn't get to. There were three of them that night. They know what they done. I know what they done. Um, and, yeah, they all should have been in those court cases together to the very end and they all should have gone to jail. Yeah, but we also know what you have done, which is amazing. Incredible. It's incredible. You are still so young to fight so hard and fight all of those people and those obstacles. Congratulations on you. Thank you. What a woman you are. (laughs) I want to do a book. I guess a survival guide through court. For survivors. Oh, um, I think that would be really amazing. We have this conversation so much, don't we, with yeah. people saying, I didn't know. Yeah. How, who knows what to do? No one yeah. does. I mean, if I had, if I knew now, mm. back then, not that things would have been easier, but we didn't have the support back then either that we have now. We have a lot more support groups, but I would like to see more support in court and to write how I would do it now if I had to go through court and just to try and empower other survivors because we're so broken, you know, and it's so – for me now it's not an everyday battle. Christmas is hard. Uh, Try and put that out of your mind now. It's about the kids. My kids are getting older. That was a thought that went through my head this year. My kids are getting older. How am I going to deal with this sort of as the years go on because it's all about them now. But, you know, I just being here with you guys, with everyone here in this room and being able to talk to you and tell you what happened to me is just my heart feels so good. Thank you to Janelle O'Connor for choosing to share her story with us. And thank you to Nina Fennell, the creator of the Let Her Speak campaign in partnership with news.com.au, End Rape on Campus Australia and Mark Lawyers. You can find links on our Facebook page. If you need to talk to someone about issues raised in this podcast, you can access counselling services and onward referral from 1800RESPECT. That's 1800 737 732 or Lifeline, 13 11 14. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.